You are listening to a sermon by Tanner Sherlock. Visit chialphashatternstate.com for more info. So, how is everybody doing? Man, you guys are... This is, this is a trend. You guys are fabulous. <laughs> it's going to be a good week. It's going to be a good night. I can feel it. I can feel it's going to be a good night because how much burden you guys have brought into this room. Has it, has it been pretty rough? Has it been pretty rough with this, this semester, this week so far? Excellent. Excellent. I say excellent. Now, in order to find out why I think that is excellent, you're going to have to actually pay attention tonight. Because how many guys happened to watch the, uh, the Broncos um, getting beat by the Chiefs but then still managing to win somehow? It was great. I loved every minute of it. Because the Chiefs fans were talking trash the whole game. The whole game. And then the last minute is all that really even actually mattered. And the Broncos come back and destroy them. And I was whooping and hollering. And the Chiefs fans, they didn't even give it a second chance. Like, they just gave up. They are like, oh, I'm so used to losing. <laughs> However, I will say, is there any Raiders fans in here? Good. I am so happy. Man, being a Raiders fan is tough. Except like, this week. I make fun of the Chiefs, but the Raiders fans, I almost feel sorry for them because they've been so terrible for so long that it's just kind of sad. But if they take a note from Job, I'm going to eat my words here in about 10, 15 years because they're going to have like six championships all in a row because God's going to double down on them because they've been so miserable. It's going to be great. So you guys know Job. Speaking of Job... Transitioned pretty smoothly into that. You guys know who Job is. You know, Job went through a lot. Now, that's a guy who had stuff to complain about. I can't even imagine what Job went through. So, now, keeping in mind what Job went through, how was your guys' week this week? Wow, so you guys had Job level, Job level crap in your life. Man, I underestimated the amount of burden you guys had. You guys are, wow, I'm impressed. What? I've now managed to make it an entire page in my sermon and not actually talk about anything beneficial. <laughs> so I'm going to start out. We're going to be in two different places in Scripture today. Matthew 22 is where we're going to start out, and I'm just going to go real quick. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, Which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. And the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Man, Jesus was a wise man. If there was ever a moment in Scripture where there could be a literal mic drop, this is where I would imagine it happens. The Pharisees and the Sadducees come in, they're trying to trick him, and Jesus is like... That's right. And then they just drop, he just drops. He's good. Like two sentences is all he really has to say. It took me like 10 seconds to read that. And they were just sitting there going, holy crap. They probably would have said, wouldn't have said that because they're official and high and mighty and all that. But they'd be like, oh man. Holy. No, we wouldn't even say that. That's horrible. They'd be like, oh, bless your heart. They're all old ladies. Love the Lord your God with all your whole, with all your heart, soul, and mind. 
Long explanation short, Jesus is basically saying, first of all, you need to love God with every fiber, with every thought, with every action in your body. Now listen close. The first time I ever read this, I read it as, love the Lord your God. But I managed to interpret it as, serve the Lord your God. Somehow I managed to take, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And I translated it into my head as, and with my actions as, serve the Lord. There's a very big difference between correlation and causation. Correlation means there is a correlation between the two. There is a common theme going on. Causation means one causes the other. And I want to say something here. Loving God and serving God are not a correlation. It is a causation. There is a study, and in order to show the differences between causation and correlation, I want to share with you guys a study. So this study came out a few years ago, and it was telling us, it was basically trying to prove how error molecules within our air was actually poisoning us. They were saying that with every breath you breathe, there is something causing bodily harm to us. And in this study, they managed to prove that from the moment you were born, the amount of breaths you breathe on this earth are numbered because of this. The foundation is extremely simple. Basically, what they were saying is every single person on earth who breathes air will die. There's a 100% mortality rate. Obviously, that is completely redundant, and obviously I made this study up. But what I'm getting at is, breathing air doesn't cause you to die. However, there is a correlation because everybody breathes and everybody dies. And so what I'm saying is, serving God is not a correlation of loving God. However, it occurs after you love God. When you love God with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul... Out of that will come serving. However, they are not equal. And I want to point out the difference between the two before I continue. Last week I talked a little bit about how sometimes we can get caught up with our issues. And I hinted to uh, the point that reading your Bible, praying, worshiping God, that all of that is in vain if you don't have the right mindset going into it. If you're doing it out of an obligation where you're saying that If I read my Bible, if I pray, if I spend time with God, then his presence will be here. You're basically dumbing down into God, into something that you can control. But if you do it out of love, and you do it out of respect, and you do it out of fear, and you do it in the right mindset, you do it keeping the first and second commands that Jesus gave us in mind, typically then the presence of God will come. I like to share an example of this is when when Moses is approaching the burning bush. He first takes off his shoes and enters into the presence of God because he recognizes that the burning bush comes with the presence of God. So he takes off his shoes first. There is a correlation between him taking off his shoes and entering into the presence of God because he takes off his shoes because you were supposed to take off your shoes in order to enter into the presence of God. However, us reading our Bible and praying and spending time so that God will be there is basically like saying, I'm going to take my shoes off right now so that God's presence will enter here. What should your mindset be coming to Chi Alpha? Should you be coming to Chi Alpha so that you can serve God or so that you can love God, so that you can love your neighbor? Pretty simple, isn't it? This is pretty simple stuff. And so what I'm saying is, 
if you come to Chi Alpha, the object of you coming to Chi Alpha, you should be doing it out of love for God. You should be wanting to spend time with God. Now, I'm not trying to say that I'm God. However, hopefully, at some points throughout the semester, God might actually use me to teach you something. But your mindset coming here, I want you to get your mindset right before you come here. I want you to come here because you love God and you want to enter into his presence and because you love your neighbor and because you want to help them out. You want to be there. You want to fellowship with them. You want to learn from them. You want to teach them out of love. So why am I, why do I stand up here? Why do I spend hours writing sermons going over them? Why do I spend hours meeting with my small group leaders every single week? I don't do it. The reason I do it is because I care for you guys. I care for my small group leaders. I actually want to spend time studying. I could just literally, there are databases where you can copy and paste a sermon, and I could just stand up here and read it. However, I take the time to actually research the subjects. I actually take time to go over my sermons because I want to present something to you guys that I feel like God is wanting to tell you. And myself, I actually learn a lot from my own sermons. I spend time with my small group leaders because I care about them. I want to see them grow into leaders so that they can emulate that for the rest of you guys. I want them to spend time in their small groups because they care about you guys, not because of some duty that they hold to God or to to Chi Alpha. The mindset carries you through the action. If I actually genuinely care about you guys, writing my sermon is going to be easy because there's nothing behind it as far as nobody holding a whip to me saying I need to write my sermon. However, because I care about you guys, it makes writing my sermon a lot easier. How many of you guys know that when you have a subject that you actually enjoy, you usually do a lot better because it's easy to study as opposed to chemistry, which nobody likes, and you actually have to study it really hard and you're miserable every second of the way. You might do good, but the second you get done with that class, your only reaction is, man, I'm so glad I'm done with that class. And you never look at your books again. You throw them away. You burn them because the bookstore doesn't give you any money back for them. So perhaps we should come in here with the intent to love God and to love our neighbor. Correct? Look at your neighbor and say, I love you. Now look at your neighbor and say, I really mean that. Telling your neighbor that you love them doesn't mean that you want to go on a date with them. There's a very big difference. And I will say, and I do want to add, love is a choice. Okay? I want to be very clear here. Love is a choice. I choose to love my wife every single day. I want to make the very big distinction between falling over head over heels in love with somebody. I I think it's ridiculous because true love is a choice. I can choose to love God. He gave us that choice. If you're understanding what I'm saying, give me a give me a nod. Give me just like a little nod. I want to tell you guys, I really enjoy feedback from you guys. I, I really do. I don't need you guys to be silent in here. It's, it's not a sign of respect to be silent in this room. If you hear a good point that it resonates with you, I want you to give me, give me a nod. Jed's the best at this. Jed will give a little nod when, when something's kind of good. Or when it's really good, he'll get a, oh, that's good. <laughs> or if it's, if it's really, really good, he'll, he'll just get a, oh, amen. <laughs> I love that. I, I feed off of that. I want you guys loud. I want you guys responding. 
Now, I do say I don't want it in disrespect. I do want respectful responding. However, I do give you guys, I want to give you guys permission to respond in here. Don't distract your neighbor because you feel like talking too much. So are you guys following me? You guys following me? Yes? Those guys that are actually listening or nodding. All right. So now, we go through all that. The only reason I go through that is I want to prove, or not prove, I want to set a foundation for tonight's sermon. Yeah, it was tedious. Yeah, you've gone over that a thousand times. It's a pretty basic piece of scripture. However, and I've also gone over it three weeks in a row now. But I want us to begin this next part of my sermon with the understanding that we choose to love God and that the reason why we are here is to love God and to love our neighbor. And so if we can enter into that with the right understanding, let's continue with the rest of my sermon. I'm going to be in Hebrews 12 for the rest of this sermon. Hebrews 12, 1 starts out, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured on the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Hebrews 12.1 is my favorite Bible verse. It is such an amazing Bible verse. However, as I mentioned on my podcast, it speaks of this race. And then verse 1 actually ends in a comma. And so a lot of people will memorize verse 1, which I did because I thought I was cool memorizing because it sounded sweet because Tim Tebow liked the verse. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and it goes to, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That's inspirational. That's cool. It's all that. But there's a comma there. And continuing from there, it's saying, fixing our eyes on Jesus. So it makes very clear what race it is talking about right now. What race is he talking about? What race is the author mentioning? He's talking about our Christian walk, our Christian race, our Christian life. And so he's saying, to run the race marked out for us, he continues with a comma, by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Because of the things Jesus has done for us. As we run this race, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Continuing, verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as the father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the, of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of the spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our own good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace 
for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. I want to preface the rest of my sermon with, if you are going through a hardship right now, if you're struggling, if, if you're almost bitter, if you're struggling with depression, with, with whatever is going on in your life, if you are in a real genuine hardship right now, the rest of this sermon might come off as salt in the wound for you. It's going to be hard to hear. It's going to be hard to listen to. And so I want to preface it that. And so you come with this with the right mindset. Jesus here is quoting when, he, when it goes off in the little brackets. He's quoting Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. And so quickly I want to take you guys on an adventure to understand why he quotes that. The root word for discipline, the first word for discipline, is musar. It is a noun. It is most closely defined as a discipline or rebuking. However, the second word for discipline in the next verse is pronounced, and it is a verb, it's pronounced yahah. I want everybody to say that with me. Say yahah. You've got to really get the throat in there. Like you're hacking up a hairball. Yahah. Yahah. Don't you just love Hebrew? So much more fun than English. Yahah. This is more closely defined as a correcting discipline. A discipline that is based off of correction. It is used in the Old Testament a total of 55 times. You know what book it occurs the most in? Job. Correcting. Discipline. Occurs 15 times in Job, as opposed to 55 times in the rest of the Old Testament. Jesus tells us to endure discipline Endure hardship as discipline, allowing it to correct us as a parent corrects us. The biggest problem with hardships, the number one problem with hardships, is that you can't see your own progress through them. You're blinded by your hardship. You don't even really understand anything else in your life other than your hardship. Your hardship becomes your life almost. One of the hardest parts of my life was between the ages of 13 and 22. It was an extremely difficult, what is it, decade? 10 years, a decade? It was a pretty difficult decade in my life. I suffered from horrible, horrible depression. Horrible depression. Depression is, depression affects globally over 350 million people. It is the number one leading disability worldwide. I suffered from depression for a very long period of my life. And on top of being manic depressive, I also had bipolar disorder. So you combine bipolar disorder and manic depressive disorder, and you end up with a pretty messed up kid. Now throw in a borderline personality disorder. That was my life for 10 years. And so to deal with my depression, to deal with my bipolar disorder, to deal with my personality disorder, I got this idea that if I could just be an all-star athlete, all of my problems would go away. If I could have that beautiful girl in my arms, that all my problems would be solved. And you know what? If that didn't solve it, at the very least, eventually, alcohol would solve it. I began filling my life with these different areas that I thought could somehow fill my life. That somehow... Being an all-star athlete 
would make me feel whole. Somehow having a, a girlfriend would make me feel good. I can tell you that waking up in a jail cell when you're 21 years old, I can tell you right then at that moment that none of those things filled that void in my life. And I still struggled from depression. I still struggle from bipolar disorder. And I still struggle with my borderline personality disorder. And I will tell you that as a result, I've learned a lot of things. And I can tell you, looking back on my life right now, because when I gave my life to Christ, he actually took all three of those areas of my life away. And I can tell you, looking back on that point in time in my life, years back, I wouldn't change it at all. I wouldn't change a single thing. I wouldn't even change winding up in jail. Every time I have to fill out any sort of information in pastoral applications, I have to put down that I was arrested every single time. And I still don't regret a single moment of it because I have learned so much from this. I have learned so much from my depression. I allowed it to turn from something that was horrible and a very dark part of my life. I allowed it to be used for good. I allowed God to turn it into a message. Depression is an illness that I tend to not give as much attention as some people feel like it deserves. It's an area in my life I don't tend to talk about a whole lot. Sometimes I feel like we can get to the point where we give our hardships, we give our struggles, we give the the pain in our life more attention than it really deserves. And so typically the only time I really talk about depression is I talk about what I learned from depression, what I learned coming out of it, what I learned five years later, six years later, seven years later. Like I said before, if you are currently going through a a tough time in your life and you are currently struggling from depression, a lot of what I say is going to be salt in the wound. It's going to be hard. And I also want to preface that if you aren't being attacked by the enemy, you're probably dormant as a Christian. And so what did I learn from my depression? What did I learn from all this problem, all this pain that I went through in my life? And as some of you guys know that have heard my testimony, depression is actually a very small part of my mistakes. I learned how important relationships are through my depression. I learned how important it is to seek out help from other people. I learned how important it is to have friends, to have family that has your back, I learned how important it is to actually seek out people because a lot of times you get to this point where you feel like you're alone and you feel like you're the only person in the world. But in reality, there's 50 other people in this room that would love to have a conversation with you, that would love to give you a hug, would love to tell you everything is going to be okay. But all we can see is that we're sitting in a chair and we feel so alone. We feel like we have the world on our shoulders. And no matter what your hardship is, it might not have been depression, but I feel like most, can, most of this can ring true. And so for those of you who have gone through hardship, I want you to take a moment and just look back onto a hardship of your life. And think about what good possibly came out of it. Because good did come out of it. And if it hasn't come out of it, good will come out of it. I really do feel like the enemy wants to steal away everything in your life. He's here to kill, steal, and destroy. And so if you allow the enemy to do it, not only will he affect you during your hardship, once you come out of the hardship, 
He will rob you from any lessons you could have learned from it. He will rob you of any discipline that you could have obtained. And it will push you farther away from God. Hardships will come. I want you to, to understand this. Scripture is very, very clear that hardships will come. But we are to pray that we can endure them. And so I'm going to reread verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Man, I love the note that it leaves us on right there. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame will not be disabled, but healed. It is literally taking a mess and turning it into a message. It is taking your struggle with depression and so that maybe someday you can actually feed into somebody else's life and give them life through the struggles you went through. You know that saying, God never gives us more than we can handle? I hate that saying. It is complete garbage. God never gives us more than He can handle. Sometimes it is more than you can handle. But you need to just stop trying to do it on your own and go to God out of love. Go to your neighbor out of love. You going through trials? Rejoice. Look to God. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Are you going through good times right now? Rejoice. Keep your eyes on Jesus and keep them firmly planted there. Allow this trial that you are currently going through to be yaha. Allow it to discipline you. Allow it to push you into a greater dependence on God. Do not allow it to push you away from Him. Because the enemy wants to come in and he wants to tell you that God hates you because of everything you're going through. God God despises you. God is wicked. He's making you suffer. But in reality, what the object is, what the best result that could come out of it is that actually you look to God and say, God, help me. God, I love you so much. God, this really sucks. This really hurts right now. But don't go to God looking for a a get-out-of-depression-free card. Go to God because you love Him. So I'm going to share with you guys one last story. You know, last week I talked about how my mom was healed of level 9, level 10 pain. And almost instantly as she was being prayed over, her pain level went to zero. A week later, I want to give you guys a praise report that a week later her her pain is still at a zero and she's completely quit taking her pain pills. Definitely want to give God thanks in that. However, one area of of this whole story that I I haven't really talked about here at Chi Alpha is my dad's side of the story. My dad's been through the ringer too. About a year prior to all my mom's stuff going on, my dad was diagnosed with very, very severe esophageal cancer. They had to cut out his entire esophagus, attach his stomach straight up to his neck, and had to go through tons and tons of rounds of chemo and radiation therapy. He spent an entire year in Minnesota, pretty much, dealing with this cancer. God didn't instantly heal my dad. And since then, since all of his cancer, all of his problems, he's had to be there for my mom as the strong person. He's had to be there for her through all the stuff that she's going through, knowing what he just went through. 
And so you might be sitting there, how, how could there be any good that could come from cancer or a failing liver? And see, I, I want to share something with you, a little detail. My dad never came to church before he had cancer. I'd never actually had a conversation about God with my dad prior to his cancer. It was not an aspect of his life. And in fact, when I, when I told God, or told God, told my dad that I was going to become a pastor, his only real response to me was, how are you going to make a living? Since then, my dad had started going to church with my mom. My mom would drag him up to church every once in a while. And even my mom, prior to all of her problems, she would only go to church maybe once a month. After my dad got back and was deemed cancer-free, they started coming every single solitary week. I started having conversations about God with my dad. My dad began bringing up God to me. My dad began asking questions about Chi Alpha, asking questions about ministry, asking questions about what it's going to look like for me, where I'm going to go. And I knew the change really happened in my dad. When, when my mom got so sick, she couldn't come to church anymore. But I noticed the change in my dad when my mom could no longer come to church. And yet my dad would start coming without her. He would come up to the men's Bible study. He started doing all this stuff without my mom. Until it got to the point where he didn't feel comfortable leaving her home alone. And so, prior to my dad's cancer, that entire story of my dad getting close to God would have been unheard of. And I truly do not, I really do not believe that my dad would come into a relationship with God had he not got cancer and had my mom's liver not started going out. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that God caused my dad's cancer and caused my mom's liver to go out. That's a whole different story. We can have that conversation at another time and date. However, I am standing up here and I am telling you that God knew it was going to happen. And my dad allowed discipline in his life. He allowed himself to be corrected and it drove him closer to God. With my depression, my alcoholism, all my decisions I made, those were consequences that were a direct result of my action. I made it happen. And when the discipline came, I allowed myself to be driven to God. And eventually I gave my life to Christ. He took away my depression. And I decided I would serve Him as long as I possibly could manage to serve Him because I saw what he had done in my life. I wasn't focused on the depression anymore. I was focused on God. I wasn't focused on my alcohol problem anymore. I was focused on running as fast as I possibly could to God. My depression, my alcoholism, my problems were gone almost in an instant as soon as I began looking to God and looking to Christ. And I realized how much He truly loved us. He loved us so much that He's not going to allow your hardships to go to waste. 
you seek him through it. Verse 7, as I read before, it says, Endure hardships as discipline. And so the entire last half of my sermon was focused on your hardships and allowing them and viewing them as discipline. You can use your hardships, no matter how bad they are, to build you up rather than to cut you down. You can endure your hardship. But first, you need to seek God. You need to seek Him sincerely. And you need to seek each other. And when you're alone, find somebody. My wife and I, we're here for you. Literally, it is my entire career is based off of loving you guys. I have brought in staff. We have small group leaders up here, and I brought them up here early so you can see their faces. These guys have stepped out and said, I will commit myself to loving you guys. Seek each other out and seek out God. And if you aren't going through a hardship, be available for others. Can I get you to get the lights? Sometimes our hardships are self-inflicted. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're only good that I can possibly think out of it, like my mom's liver and my dad's uh, cancer. The, The only good that I can rationally think about it is that God used it to bring them closer to Him. So sometimes hardships are self-induced like my alcohol problem. And sometimes, I don't know why they happen, but I do know what can result of them. And so tonight I've asked the small group leaders to come up. And if you've been going through a tough time, if you're currently going through a tough time, and you're struggling, maybe it's depression, Maybe your mom has a liver that's failing. Maybe your dad's going through cancer. Maybe maybe it's as simple as you just got out of a really tough relationship. Maybe you're struggling with your classes right now and you just don't know what to do. I want you guys to come up and seek prayer. Go ahead and turn them all the way down. Come up to these guys and find somebody to pray with you and to help you carry some of the burden. And these guys have made a commitment to help you carry your burden and most of all, to help guide you to Christ. To help guide you to God and so that He can carry your burden. And so we're going to be up here a few minutes. I want you guys to be courteous to your neighbors. Don't be disrespectful. Don't, don't bother them when they might need to come up for help. But I'm speaking to you. If you're going through a hardship right now, don't be afraid to come up and ask for prayer. I don't care how perfect you feel like your walk with God should look like. If you're struggling right now, find somebody up here or find a friend to pray with you. And so we're just going to be up here for a few minutes.
tonight as you guys leave, I want you guys to keep verse 13 in your mind. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. I just feel like that, that verse needs to resonate with us as we go. That we can stop looking at our hardships as hardships. When I was writing this sermon, the first half of my sermon, which was a little more fun, a little more trying to get you guys involved, was super, super easy to write. The second half of this sermon, where it actually got down to the, talking about hardships, was really hard. It, it didn't sit with, well with me for a while until after I prayed about it a couple times because one of the things about the Christian church these days is we've, we've stopped talking about hardships. We've started talking about how everything is, is foofy and perfect and you know, when you go to God, everything, all your struggles go away and all this stuff. And I really feel like that's such a small picture, part of the picture. I feel like Scripture teaches us how to live life. It doesn't tell us that all our hardships will go away. It doesn't tell us that the things that in life that, that suck, that, that death, that cancer, that all these things, it doesn't say that, that it's just going to instantly go away. However, over and over again in, in Hebrews, the whole book of Hebrews is such a tough book because it's ta- it talks about the, the hard stuff in life, the hardships. And over and over again, it, it, after it talks about the hardship, it talks about how important it is to keep our eyes on Jesus. And as I was writing this sermon and just trying to get through it, it was tough because what I was asking you guys to do, and I understand that it's hard, I was asking you guys to come in here to a place where a lot of times we get to the point where church becomes this thing where I want you to only think about the good things and the good things so that you leave here feeling so amazing. But what I wanted you guys to do was come in here and look at your hardships on purpose. Purposefully look at your hardships, the, the, the crap in your life that you probably want to forget about. And I want you to look at your hardships and yet still leave here feeling good. And the only way to do that is to view your hardships as discipline and to keep your eyes on God. And so as you guys leave here, just keep verse 13 in your mind and and remember that love of God, keeping your eyes on God out of love, not out of obligation, It makes a world of difference in our lives and our hardships. So let's pray. Lord, as Matthew 22 says, to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and to love our neighbors, Lord, I pray that you would help us. Lord, that you would help us keep our eyes on you and you would help us to love you above all else. Lord, I just ask you to help show us how to love each other better. Lord, I pray if, if we have a friend that is hurting, Lord, I pray that you would show us. You would show us when our friends are hurting. You would help us get over some of the struggles in our life just long enough to maybe be there for a friend. And Lord, if we are the ones who's going through the struggle, Lord, I pray that you would put friends in our life who will help point us to God. 
But I ask you to show us how loving each other godly is supposed to look. I thank you, and it is in your name we pray. Amen.